Amen. I hope this morning that you've already seen a few threads being drawn together, uh, that our freedom is found in Christ alone uh, when he sets us free from sin. Uh, we actually, says Paul in Romans 6, uh, be slaves to righteousness instead. All right? So uh, one way or the other, we're slaves. All right? But free slaves are slaves to righteousness, slaves to King Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at as we come to uh, John, uh, Romans chapter 6 once again this morning. I'm going to read that in just a few moments. Uh, but just to briefly mention the, the earlier part of chapter 6, last time when we were gathered uh, last weekend in Romans, we heard Paul asking the church whether they are dead or alive. The reality, I hope we gathered from last week, is that as Christians, we are both. We are both dead and alive. Uh, we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. If we are dead to sin, this means that we are now actively putting our sin, wherever it shows itself, to death. Not allowing our sin to grow and dominate our lives because we now walk in newness of life, says Paul, verse 4. We walk in newness of life with Jesus. The question is, that Paul asks there, has our old self been crucified with Christ? Has our old self been nailed there at the cross with Jesus? Are we nailing our old self there at the cross? Are we about the work of bringing our sinful body of sin to nothing? Verse 6. That's the challenge that Paul gave us. And friends, this reality is a process. It's a conviction. It's a struggle that we are engaged in. You know, so if you're ever there feeling like you're going through a war situation, you're struggling, well, you should be. That's God's intention for this life. It is to take you safely through a struggle in order that you might share in the victory that Christ has already secured for you. The big fight is not a pay-per-view event on cable TV. All right, That's not the big fight. Some of you know what I'm talking about. The big fight is the Christian life. And it's a glorious thing. Because when people watch us engaged in the fight with passion, because Jesus has given us that passion, then it speaks loudly of Christ, our Saviour. Well, in today's text, as we complete chapter 6, Paul uses uh, an image, he uses the illustration of slavery to illustrate uh, his point. Paul, once again, he'll talk about the heart, the human heart, which is where the Lord God does his business, doesn't he? That's where he transacts the business, in our hearts, transforming them, making them new. Is he working in your heart today? Has he been at, your, at work in your heart this week? Strengthening it. Deepening your conviction that he alone is God. That he alone can satisfy you. 
He alone is your salvation, that you need him every day to mould you, to shape you, to heal you, and to grant you his light, to shine the way. I know I do. I've entitled this sermon this morning, Do Loss or Do Less. Do loss or do less. Some of you know what the word do loss means. It's a Greek word for slave or servant. I'm asking us, who do we serve? Are we a do loss, a slave of righteousness? Or are we inclined to do less? Are we happy to do the minimum? Let's read together from Romans 6. Verse 15 to the end. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. May he be forever praised in our presence and in our lives. I want us to look at the uh, this illustration of slavery. Uh, so I'm going to unpack it in the following way. First we can consider slavery Uh, Then we're going to consider slaves to sin, what it means to be a slave to sin. And then, finally, slaves to righteousness. What does that mean? What does that look like? Slavery, then slave to sin, slaves to righteousness. I think it's important, uh, before we get into essentially what Paul was talking about, really for us to say something about slavery. Uh, since Paul has chosen this illustration, uh, and we believe in expositional preaching, we, we cannot ignore it, uh, but we do need to address it. And slavery is rightly a controversial topic. Slavery is a great evil perpetrated by human beings against other human beings. The idea that you can own another person as you might own any other material possession is an abhorrent and destructive idea. It is dehumanizing and cruel. 
the practice of chattel slavery is rightly condemned. And it's why even in Scripture, we see Paul encouraging Philemon to liberate slaves, to give them the opportunity to walk in newness of life as free men and women. You know, people say to you sometimes, perhaps, you know, the Bible uh, encourages slavery. It allows slavery. Actually, the Bible regulates and condemns slavery, properly understood. The reality is, when Paul was writing, that uh, in an age where slavery was universally practiced, the reality is that we all enslave ourselves. We enslave ourselves to sin through our practice, through our love of our sinful desires and our behaviours. We think sin is where it's at, gratifying the flesh, indulging our fantasies. We believe the lies of Satan, the greatest enslaver in history. And of course he speaks, doesn't he, through various channels, through various media and voices that we are bombarded with day in, day out, if we're not careful. And that voice is what will, we believe that it's what it will make us happy. Just one more time. Nobody's going to notice. It will feel good. That is the real slavery that afflicts universally humankind. The damnable practice of chattel slavery itself was born millennia ago, when human beings first saw the advantages of using other human beings for their own benefit and enrichment. When we allowed our hearts to believe that the cruelty meted out to other men and women made in the image of God was acceptable, because it produced wealth for us, our families and our nation. Such wealth could bring about fame and fortune and the guilt associated with enforcing misery on others could, of course, be assuaged by patronage, building hospitals, churches and schools, whatever might help us sleep at night. Friends, Jesus said that divorce was granted because of the hardness of human hearts. Not because divorce uh, just, uh, was a justified outcome from an offence committed by one spouse to another. And so the practice of enslavement is also the result of the hardness of human hearts. The inability and the refusal to recognise the image of God in the faces and lives of other human beings. The preference for our own benefit and enrichment at the expense of the humanity of our neighbour. So how hard are our hearts, friends? How hard are our hearts? How ready are we to trample over other human beings in order to get our fix, to make our way in this world? Are we happy to be a part of this rat race? Are we adept 
at taking a larger share in this world of sin? Are we happy to become masters of cunning and guile? Are we proud to be streetwise? Dear friends, I hope that we're putting such attitudes to death in our lives. I hope that we are preferring to smooth off our sharp edges. I pray that we are increasingly seeing how God wants to transform us into living ambassadors for Christ Jesus our Lord. Because then, and only then, not through legislation, not through reparations or whatever other methods could be enforced by law, only through the transformation of hearts can the battle against slavery be won. Such heart change moved men and women to campaign relentlessly for the abolition of slavery and the emancipation, the liberation of those who've been subjected to generations of abuse. Dear friends, tragically, there remain many slaves today. And it does not please God. That is the reality of this world a world that knows only chaos apart from Christ. So slaves to sin, let's focus in more on what Paul is saying here. As the Apostle Paul recognises in our text today, slaves are those who are forced to obey a master. A slave is one who must act according to whoever or whatever is their master. So then that begs the question, doesn't it, friends? Who or what is our master? In our natural state, the condition in which we arrive on this earth, our condition is as slaves to sin. Paul uh, says in the text that the universal natural inclination to humankind is to serve up our members, who we are, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, in verse 19. That's our natural condition. Our natural desire is to indulge the flesh and to disobey God's righteous laws. This sinful nature, which affects us all, is what is responsible for the injustices and wrongs of this world. Things like chattel slavery, forcing others to live in lives, lives of servitude for our benefit. Whether we do this illegally or legally through immoral employment practices. And don't be deceived, many such practices exist to this day. Perfectly legal. So there's nothing wrong with it, right? Oh, yes, there is. Yes, there is. Slavery is a result, friends, of human sinfulness. And this must be answered for. The Lord God will hold people accountable for enslaving others. As human beings, we do not naturally pursue the things of God. Dear friend, and this is the bad news that we have to admit 
in order that we might be consumed with joy and passion for the good news that we have in Jesus, a saviour, a great and wonderful saviour who has granted us eternal life, says Paul, in exchange for our sinful rebellion. Dear friend, Jesus has made this exchange possible. His eternal life for our sin. He has made it possible by becoming the once and for all sacrifice at the cross. Jesus was the slave or servant par excellence, obeying perfectly his father's pure will in order that God would be both just in judging sin in Christ and the justifier, Paul had said in chapter 3, verse 26. That he would be both the just in pouring out wrath against sin, but also the justifier of sinners, friends. People like you and me. You see, in Jesus, the full penalty for the sins of God's people was paid. The full penalty. You don't have to top up. You don't have to make up anything lacking. Jesus paid it all. Praise God. Jesus took upon himself the righteous wrath of God in order that we would know forgiveness for our sins and new lives in him. So, friend, have you given up serving your sin? For as Paul says, the Christian is the person who was once a slave of sin. Are you still serving it? Are you, as we heard last week, one who now puts your sin to death by obeying your new master, Jesus? Jesus has paid the price. Jesus has opened the door for you to enter his rest, to clothe yourself with his garment of righteousness. You know, those new clothes given freely by the Father to the sons and daughters who come to their senses and return home to become one of his privileged children? No. No. The prodigal returns seeking to become one of their father's servants. Did you notice that in the parable of Jesus? Luke chapter 15, verses 18 to 19. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Please treat me as one of your hired servants. That's our attitude before our Saviour. To return to him, to serve him. No longer disobedient. No longer chasing after the pipe dreams of the sinful life. We return to God, ready to serve him with the rest of our lives. Friends, that's what it means to be a slave of righteousness. I titled this sermon, Do Loss or Do Less. And this question really gets at the heart of whether or not we are now slaves of Christ. Because it asks us, who do we serve? Friend, if you're a born-again Christian here today, then your life is no longer yours. 
You know your life is no longer yours. But it's Christ's. Christ is now your master. And he is in the process of making you into a new creation. Paul says he accomplishes this through sanctification. Sanctification. Something he works in us. And so do you know God's uh, active, sanctifying hand in your life? When you look back, I encouraged you, didn't I, at the end uh, or the, the, the change of the year, to look back on your previous year. Could you see God's hand at work in your life, shaping it, moving you forward, sometimes over humps and bumps, right? Sometimes through troughs and challenges. Can you see his hand actively sanctifying you? But pastor, surely my life is my life. Isn't that what everyone says? Well, sure enough, that is what everyone says in our unbelieving culture. And that culture is a tidal wave all around us. It's a tidal wave that threatens to engulf us. Threatens to sweep us away. This unbelieving culture is relentless. And so many believe the lie that that is where true freedom is found. It's going with the flow, doing what you want, being who you really are. Friends, only God knows who you really are. He knows who each and every one of us is. From back to front, inside and out, top to bottom. In our unbelieving culture, we can do as we please. We are the masters of our lives. And we can freely choose to shipwreck our lives by indulging the flesh. The sinful flesh which becomes our insatiable master and drives us further and further into sin. So are you a doulos today. You are a servant of God, a slave to righteousness. Or do you find yourself wanting to do less? Which do you prefer? You know, one of the OM ships that sailed the world, taking the gospel to some of the hardest to reach places, taking a library of wonderful good news, did so for over 30 years, sailing the high seas with, with a crew committed to serving their master. That ship was called the Doulos, the MV Doulos. There's another one called the Logos. Some of you know the stories. Striving for the Lord, active, taking the good news of a saviour for sinners, to men, women and children across the world with different languages, different cultures, different backgrounds, the same gospel, saving sinners. And so Paul's question to us is, are we active and busy slaves of Christ? Are we a doulos of Christ? Or would we rather do less and continue serving ourselves? 
this consideration is of utmost importance because it's really a big clue to whether we truly belong to him or not. Have we truly given over control of our lives, you know, the lordship to Jesus? Or are we happier to know better and retain control ourselves? Are we presenting our members as slaves of righteousness leading to sanctification? Verse 19. Paul, what does it mean? What does this mean? Well, it means that we have handed over all that we are. Our body, our mind and our soul to Jesus as the rightful captain of our lives. We've handed it over to him in order to become useful to him. That as the new captain of our lives, that he will set a new course. You know, the doulos, the MV doulos, went to some far-flung places. Some places that the crew would never have dreamed that they were going to reach. What are some of the places where God can take you? In places that you would never have dreamt of in a million years. Places where you will serve the King of Kings. Places where you will describe excitedly the new life that you know in Christ. Maybe to children. Maybe to mothers. Maybe to older folks. If Jesus is captain of your life, then you will be at use serving him and his kingdom with all that you have. And so when we look, when others look at our lives, what kind of fruit are we generating? Are we now ashamed of the things that used to delight us? Are we now ashamed of the fruit that came from the life of obeying the flesh? Surely we must know that the end of sin is death. The end of sin is death. Either our death or Christ's death. But the the end is death. If you don't want it to be yours, then let it be Christ's. He has given his life for you freely, willingly, joyfully, knowing what lay ahead for him in his kingdom. What a wonderful saviour we serve. If Jesus is your Lord, he died in order that you might live, truly live. That's what Paul's trying to convey in in his letter here, this, this long letter. Why is Paul writing such a long, exhaustive letter? Is it to bore you to tears in your devotions? Absolutely not. It's because he has caught the gospel with everything he's got. He is in love with a new saviour, with a new Lord, and he lives for him and he wants the church to know the same passion. He wants you to know, friend, the same passion that you might live and truly live. Not according to the fads and fashions of the world. Not according to the latest way to conform to the constant cravings of the unbelieving world. Have you noticed how the the bar is never set? It keeps moving. The goalposts keep moving wider and wider. They're not just happy with same-sex marriage. Now they want to be able to like 
completely change your sex. What next, friends? Polyamorous marriages? Taking minors as, as spouses? Where's the limit? There is no limit. If you don't have God's word, if you don't have the standard, there is no limit to the depths of depravity that we can reach. Friends, Jesus died in order that you might know, in order that we might know fullness of life. Jesus knew fullness of life and he went to the cross. He nailed himself to the cross in order that we might be free. Praise God. Praise God. His life, a life of obedience to righteousness. Because, friend, righteousness is godliness. So do you know the fruit from a life of serving God? That fruit, friends, is the fruit of sanctification. And the end of that process of sanctification is eternal life. And so, friends, if you desire to have eternal life, then we must allow God to take the reins of our lives. He must become our master, our true master, in more than just name. And through sanctification, through the kinds of trials and tribulations suffered by the saints of God, by people like Job, who we're looking at in the evenings, like all of the apostles, these trials are often painful and difficult. But through such sanctification, friends, we will enter into eternal life. We will enter into eternal and everlasting joy with King Jesus in his eternal kingdom. So if your deepest desire is to serve King Jesus, if he has won your heart, then let us see if we can do more in 2023, not do less. All right? Let's see if we can do more this year as we serve him and see greater fruit with which we have all been blessed because Jesus is our Lord and our Master. Let's bow our heads in prayer.